Cal. <laughs> now, in most places, you get fired for something like that. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. So you know what the topic is, is this morning. I can't get no satisfaction. It goes like this. I was going to get Brian to sing, sing the words, but you were getting way too into it. When I'm driving in my car and a man comes on the radio, he's telling me more and more about some useless information supposed to fire my imagination. I can't get no. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, 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 that's what I say. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no. I can't get no. Sorry, but I'm not, uh, I'm not going to sing it. This was first released on June 5th, 1965. Lead vocal, as you know, Mick Jagger. Electric guitars, Keith Richards, Brian Jones. Drums, Charlie Watts. Bass, Bill Wyman. Background vocals, Keith Richards. Tambourine, Mick Jagger. It was a hit even if the English guys who sang it used very imperfect English. The language was very poorly phrased if you look at it from a perspective of a grammarian. But it struck a note and it sounded chords that reverberated within a whole class of people and you proved it to me this morning. It's got a shelf life almost as long as Jagger himself. Rolling Stone magazine ranked this song as number two on its 500 greatest songs of all time. VH, VH1 placed it at number one on its 100 greatest songs of rock and roll, and in 2006 it was added to the Library of Congress National Recording Registry. Stay with me, I've got a point here. This is not some kind of a, do a documentary. Mick Jagger mo wrote most of these lyrics. It's a statement about rampant commercialism that the Rolling Stones had seen when they traveled to America. Jagger had said of satisfaction these words, and I quote him. It was the song that really made the Rolling Stones that changed us from being just another band into a huge monster band. It has a very catchy title. It has a very catchy guitar riff. Again, thank you for your response. It has a great guitar sound, which was original at that time, and it captured the spirit of the times, which is very important in these kinds of songs, and the spirit of it was alienation. That's what it's talking about, alienation. In our Bible study and our constitutional committee, we've been tackling the big words of the Bible, heavy theological themes 
that are freighted with meaning, words with tons of promise in them. And it occurs to me today that there are many people who occupy churches today who know the Rolling Stones tune better than they know the Word of God. I hope you didn't show me that this morning. In fact, they might attend a Stones concert faster and with more life and more enthusiasm than they show for any worship service and certainly more than any other event which the church sponsors or observes. And it's more of an observation than a criticism. But you may find more people in one accord in a rock concert than you would in many average churches. Now, Cornerbrook Baptist should never become average. Because average, to me, leans towards mediocrity. We have to strive for excellence. Excellence in everything that we do. I want to tackle and reclaim the word satisfaction. Long before it was stolen by rock stars and ad agencies and people seeking gratification of all kinds, it was a theological word. And what's absolutely amazing to me is that Mick Jagger probably had it right. He couldn't find any satisfaction in any of the pursuits for which he has become famous or infamous and maybe famous for all the wrong reasons if you take a quick look into what I would classify as maybe a little bit of a sordid personal life. He's lived up to the first half of one of his philosophical quotes. Jagger said this, It's all right letting yourself go as long as you can get yourself back. Well, my observation is that he certainly has let himself go. But getting back, the jury is still out on that one. It must have been really a satisfying moment for Mick Jagger to to earn a British knighthood. That skinny senior citizen is Sir Mick. Born July 26th, 1943, which makes him 73 years of age. It was interesting to me, and just so you know, that his birthday is one day after mine in different years, of course. (laughs) One day after mine in different years. But I thought, what outrageous moral sensibilities in Britain. The work of a man that I followed down through the years, Canon Andrew White, who was known as the vicar of, ba- of, of Baghdad and had done so much for soldiers during the Iraq war, goes almost unnoticed while some oversexed and undernourished rock icon is held up as someone in which Britain ought to take pride, and I thought that's a little bit twisted. Sorry, I'm putting all my prejudice out there this morning, am I not? See, the twisted values of this world are why Jesus came in the first place. There's a passage of Scripture where Jesus, where Scripture doesn't use the word, but it underscores the correct use of the word satisfaction. And that's where I want us to go this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. And you'll find, you'll find that concept really neatly embedded in this piece of scripture. It begins like this, and then we'll go to verse 11 and read down to verse 14. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, 
Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Now verse 11. Day after day, every priest, and this is a priest according to the Old Testament system, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Let me read those lines again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. No satisfaction. But when this priest, meaning Christ, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Something was completed. Satisfaction had been made. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Amen. Mick Jagger and Cliff Richards were right. Were right. Satisfaction is hard to find. Alienation, estrangement from God, is everywhere. Really, it's the problem that plagues the soul of humanity. Every one of us has spent time on a quest. We've recognized that something was missing from, uh, from our lives. Commercialism and consumerism and materialism is unable to satisfy the deepest longings of the soul because we were not made to be satisfied with things. Food and clothing and shelter, all of those things are necessary. But the existence of our mortal soul, of our immortal soul, creates a need to be satisfied at a level far beyond mere human need or human appetite. Now, the alienation that is the theme of that song, an alienation that's the theme of human life, is caused by sin. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 59 and verse 2. But your iniquities have separated, separated meaning alienated, have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you and he will, that he will not, not hear. We were unfit to experience the presence of God because of the sin that resided in us. And how ironic that humanity is separated from sin by God, but tries to use sinful methods in order to satisfy their soul. We turn back to the thing that puts us in this place in the first place in order to gain some measure of relief from it. The scriptures tell us that sin, when it's finished, brings forth not satisfaction, but death. So the person who tries to be satisfied through illicit pleasure and God-absent living is really only deepening their personal sense of being unfulfilled. And the further you go, that's not unlike God's way, the more alienated we become. And no wonder Mick strutted across the stage and screamed out the words of a world without Christ, I can't get no satisfaction. And you won't. There's no satisfaction, no ultimate 
satisfaction. You may get a few moments of relief. You may get a few moments of misinterpreted joy. I see the epistle to the Hebrews that I read to this morning is written to people who had sought satisfaction in the message of Christ. But now they're being enticed back to old ways that says the mess that really the message of the gospel had superseded, it replaced it. They were going back to, back to the practice of law and to the reinstitution of a sacrificial system. They were about to reject the Lamb of God for the outdated slaughter of lambs on the altar of sacrifice. And Hebrews says that's been put aside. Oh, pardon the crudeness of the illustration, but it's like trading in your current washroom facilities at home for an outhouse. It's similar to refusing electricity in favor of a kerosene lamp. And in terms of the message of Hebrews, the scripture is very clear. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never, never, never take away sin. And if the writer to the Hebrews recast his message to the people of his day, he would have cried out to these people the same words we heard from the song. You can't get no satisfaction. At the end of the day, all you could possibly do was appease God, but never please him. Your standing before him was unchanged. A few verses later, the writer poses the basis upon which satisfaction is obtained. Your satisfaction and mine, the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, the crucified, hung on the cross, bearing the sins of the world. My sin and yours and the whole world's sins were carried by him. My sins and your sins were nailed to the cross. And upon Christ as my substitute, God poured out his wrath upon sin. Isaiah and Ken read it for us during the Easter weekend. God laid upon him the iniquity of us all from Isaiah 53. And what you see happen on the cross is that God condemned sin in Christ by him bearing our sins as our substitute, and it killed sin's power to enslave you and I. The value and the power of the life of Christ who was guiltless and sinless was greater than the grip that was held on humanity. And when Christ died, my sins were atoned for, and God was satisfied that a just penalty had been paid for sin. Christ becomes my satisfaction. He satisfies my debt. If we had sung the, the other verse of the hymn this morning, it occurs to me right in the moment. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Thank you for bringing that. And it's flashed up on the screen just, just briefly this morning. But as I was doing this message, you see, satisfied that the penalty has been, has been paid, and we sing a song at times and it's on the screen for you. Just a chorus, really. Paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. Free from sin, free to live, now I am. And I read on the page where my sins were written down. 
paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. And if that was not enough, when he arose, my world was open to the possibility of eternal life, and yours as well. Now, how can I be sure of any of these things? Is this, this a lot of theological argument you're giving us this morning? Something that someone with too much time on their hands wrote? Hebrews gives us a sure word and says so. The Bible is my authority. If I have anything to offer you today, it has to come from Scripture. But Hebrews says, when this priest had offered for, for all time, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And see, God will not allow a sinner to sit next to him. The word of God in 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, For God has made him to be sin for us, meaning Christ, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God is so satisfied with what happened on the cross, and because he was, we can find our way into the presence of God. In fact, we're invited to come there, not through our personal goodness, but through the sacrifice of Christ and through the righteousness that he gives us. See, once Christ has intervened for us, the song becomes all wrong. It changes. It's no longer, I can't get no satisfaction, but it becomes what, we, what I just repeated to you. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. And it's no wonder that Horatius Spafford used the line, it is well with my soul. When you sing that line, I didn't ask the music team to sing it this morning, but I've written my notes. Thank you. It is well with my soul. Ponder that for just a moment inside of your own soul. What kind of, what kind of reaction do you have on the inside? When you look towards eternity, or when you consider your life, and you can say, it is well with my soul. Doesn't that give you a certain measure of joy? Because when you're saying it, you're saying a mouthful. My sins are gone. There's nothing between me and God. I'm ready for whatever eternity opens for me. It is well. It is well with my soul. There may be a lot of things wrong in this world. We prayed for many of them this morning. But to be able to say, it is well with my soul. If that's your confession today, you've got something more valuable than any temporary satisfaction this world can offer you. Oh, the knowledge... The knowledge of his mission must have thrilled the soul of Jesus. Because, see, he would have attended the religious festivals of his day. He saw the priesthood going through the motions that he would soon eradicate. How the soul of Jesus must have been grieved by the lack of satisfaction he saw in the pilgrims that he mingled with. They came yearly to the temple in Jerusalem and did not leave until they had made reservations to come back the following year to run through these rituals one, once again. 
The branches they waved in four in four directions indicated God's control, but they still had to make yearly that annual and arduous trek to, to Jerusalem. You see, Jesus shows such insights into the message of the prophets. His mind grasped the fact in a, that Isaiah 51 foretells a day when the Messiah would offer the kind of satisfaction that people only dream was possible. Here's what Isaiah said. He could look across the mountaintops of prophecy and write of a future day and say, Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on, on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Isaiah says a day is coming when satisfaction is possible. And it won't cost you. He speaks of a day of grace that's coming. And in John chapter 7, Jesus is, is at the final and great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. He'd healed people during that week. And you read the, the events of the week. He had taught and confronted his, his opponents. He watched the procession as they went to the source of, source of water on the, on the last and great day of the feast. And they would have repeated Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And Jesus would have stood with an assembled throng and watched as water would be poured through a funnel. And then the water was soaked into the thirsty ground and he knew that these people would be back for the same ceremony in the same place in just in just a year but against that backdrop is his own mission he understands himself there's there's awareness of what he's about to do. In a moment of silence, you see, when the, when the priest would take that pitcher and pour it into the funnel on the Feast of Tabernacles, there would be a, a proclaim the moment of silence to dramatize the important juncture that they had arrived at. You're just about conclusion time at the great feast. John writes, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Probably with Isaiah 55, stirring his soul, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from, with, from within him. John continues in verse 39, By this he meant the Spirit, which those who believed in him were later to receive up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified and in that moment of time we picture who's going to bring the satisfaction Isaiah said "There's, it's going to happen and Jesus says look at me satisfaction is coming for you he takes the words of Isaiah and it's a rare moment of self-disclosure. Self and I offer it to you this morning as your source of satisfaction. Which song are you singing in your soul today? We've both sung some songs today. Brian started us off on a, a different kind of one at my request. 
Is it Mick Jagger's lonely tune of alienation that you sing? Or have we drunk our full at the wells of salvation? You see, God was fully satisfied with what Christ did on the cross. Full atonement was made. The pathway to freedom was opened. He's provided a remedy for sin in Christ. A few weeks ago when we gathered here for Easter services, we sang the lines that said, Full atonement can it be. Full atonement for sin. The full price has been paid. And the refrain comes back and says, Hallelujah, what a Savior. But is Christ satisfying us today? Or are we trying to satisfy ourselves with what Paul in Galatians calls the weak and beggarly elements of the world? And perhaps we all need to be reminded today that God is completely satisfied with the redemptive work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And when we accept Christ, he becomes satisfied with, uh, with us. It is well with my soul because Christ has purchased the right for me to be well. And today, if you still have that kind of hunger and thirst on the inside, to be hungry demands satisfaction. Those of you who are totally, totally used to eating right on the stroke of 12 or 10 minutes past lunch. And if I pulled out a glass of water, so a lot of preachers drink water, I try not to during, during sermons because the moment I take out a glass of water and drink from it, everybody in the congregation gets thirsty. So I try not to tempt you away from my topic and tease you with the fact that the pastor gets water, why can't I have some? But does Christ satisfy the longings of your soul? And is your soul longing to the extent today that you need some satisfaction? If you do, I'd love to talk to you a little more about this. I'd love to help you to find him as your savior if you don't know him and achieve that kind of song that says, not that I can't find no satisfaction or I can't get no satisfaction, but to say with another hymn writer, it says, it is well with my soul, or hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his blood, I now am saved. I'm going to ask the deacons to assemble for communion as we bow in prayer this morning. Music team will come back as well. Father, thank you that full atonement has been made. Thank you that the cross achieved satisfaction of a debt that the debtor could not pay. We thank you that one who was without sin 
one who was totally untainted, was offered as a final offering for sin, a once-for-all event. And today there is life and there is hope for each of us because we've embraced the Christ of the cross. We've turned towards you in faith and we've received your grace. You've made us the children of God. Thank you, Lord, that we can go to communion now dressed in robes of righteousness that were purchased by the greatest commodity that this world has ever witnessed. The precious blood of Jesus Christ applied to the sin of a human being makes that person fit to stand in the presence of God. And so it's against that kind of backdrop that we, we, come, to, we come to communion time today. And we pray now that as we receive the emblems of your broken body and your shed blood, I pray that our thoughts will be taken once again to the beauty of what you've achieved for us. And I pray that we'll personally experience the satisfaction of knowing that you are our Savior and it is indeed well with our souls. We ask you that now, in Jesus' name, amen. We have a, quite a number of visitors with us this morning, and we want you to know that this is a believer's table. And if you are a child of God today and have experienced salvation through faith and the finished work of Calvary, that you are most welcome at the table of God, the table of our Lord. And so it'll be, it will be our delight to have our deacons serve you in just a moment. We just ask that you would hold the emblem that you're presented with first until we all get an opportunity to partake, to partake together, and likewise afterwards, the wine that represents his, his blood. God bless you. Mm -hmm.